Hello and welcome to the Bayside Sermon Series podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Duckworth, Media and Technical Director here at Bayside. This week, we discuss with Pastor Dave Ritter on Jude 17 through 23 and the hope that we have as we await for the coming Christ. Thank you for joining in our conversation today. Welcome back to the podcast. This week, we are in Jude, verses 17 through 23, with Pastor Dave. Uh, Pastor, let's take a, a, just a minute and do a quick review over the last couple of weeks in Jude. Yeah, so the beginning of Jude, Jude starts off by saying that he, he basically wanted to write a different kind of letter. But something has come up, apparently, in the life of the early church there that has him disturbed. So rather than writing a treatise that celebrates the glory of salvation, he ends up writing a, a letter of warning about false teachers. Uh, he, his basic theme of the whole letter is uh, that we need to contend for the faith. And he's recruiting us to be a part of uh, the war on false teaching, uh, which is his main concern about the church, is that there are false teachers who have infiltrated the ranks of believers, um, and they they distort the gospel, and they promote ungodly living. Uh, they are greedy, they are manipulative, and in the passage that Pastor Ken preached the week before, uh, it, it talks about a lot of the characteristics of those people, uh, what to watch out for, and the judgment that awaits them. So it's a kind of a scary warning, uh, kind of like we said, putting up wanted posters, to kind of warn us about these characters and, and their destructiveness and devastation. Then the passage that we looked at this week, verses 17 through 23, it gives us strategies, if you will, for our engaging in what I call this war on error. Um, so much like in 9-11, uh, we had slogans. Well, we kind of have something like that here guiding us. Uh, after 9-11, we said, never forget. And Jude starts off in verse 17 by say, saying, don't forget what the apostles warned us about, what their, predict- their predictions were about these guys. Um, and he's referring clearly to Peter and Paul, who warned about scoffers who had come in the last days, distorting the gospel and pursuing their own ungodly desires. Then um, in the next part of our little passage, he tells us to remain faithful to Jesus. Uh, so be wary, but remain committed, be, be faithful. And here he's basically uh, kind of saying, just like after 9-11, we said, don't let the terrorists win. Get back to the business of living your life as a free person. So the encouragement in these verses is to say, you know, they're, they're important things that we just need to concentrate on as believers. Uh, don't Don't let the false teachers get us off track. Uh, You know, keep on loving Jesus. Uh, Keep on praying in the Spirit. Uh, Keep on anticipating His coming. Uh, And and these kind of very basic disciplines of the Christian life uh, will serve you well in keeping you true to the gospel. Uh, And then he tells us to reach out to those who are at risk. Uh, so just like after 9-11, we were encouraged to, you know, be vigilant and, and watch out, not just for yourself, but for the well-being of others. 
uh, don't leave your luggage unattended, um, you see something, say something, intervene if you have to, like the Flight 93 passengers who jumped into action and uh, took the plane down into the field in Pennsylvania instead of letting it fly into the Capitol building in Washington. Uh, you think not only about yourself, but you think about those around you and and uh, how they might be in danger and how you can help them. And we talked about three different categories of people at risk. Those who are doubting, uh, those who are in danger, and those who are deadly. And uh, different ways of reaching out to each category of person at risk. All right. Again, we had some questions from the congregation and uh, try to get through a, a good uh, portion of that before we get into the discussion points. When talking about the scoffers in verse 17 and their worldliness, uh, you brought up what some would call cheap grace. That, that's, a, that's a term not everybody is familiar with. Uh, could you explain just real quick what that, that means? Yeah, I don't know if, if he originated it, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian who was uh, basically one of the few German church leaders to stand up to Adolf Hitler, uh, he wrote about something he called cheap grace, and and the basic idea is, uh, it's kind of like using Jesus for fire insurance. Uh, you know, we we uh, say we believe in Jesus so we can be forgiven our sins and know that we're going to heaven, but then you know the gospel doesn't really impact our lives much here and now. Uh, you go on living however you want, uh, because after all, you know you've got your coverage. You're covered. You're covered. Uh, and you're so, forgiven. yeah, you're forgiven, you're going to heaven, so don't sweat the details. And, you know, Bonhoeffer, uh, you know, wrote about the cost of discipleship, uh, even as Jesus emphasized, um, you know, uh, you got to be willing to to take up your cross and follow me. It's, it's not an easy journey. Um, there's a price to be paid to be a follower of, of Jesus. So, yeah, I, I, I see the main error that's being addressed by Jude as a, a cheapening of grace, uh, a distortion of the gospel that, that basically ends up justifying living however you want to live. Uh, you know, he, he accuses the false teachers of, of scoffing. Um, they're, they're, being, they're scoffers who want to follow their own ungodly desires. Uh, so you 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 know basically you dismiss the work of Jesus as well. You can believe in Jesus if you want, um, or I think the contemporary version of that is Jesus loves you just as you are. You don't need to change a thing. Just uh, just believe in Him, and all will be well. Uh, as compared to what we at Bayside teach about the gospel, and that is. Uh, the gospel really says, I love you too much to leave you just as you are. You're dead in trespasses and sins. I want to bring you to spiritual life. Trust in Jesus. And yes, your sins are forgiven. Uh, but then you'll be empowered by the resurrection life of Christ through the, the Holy Spirit to live the life you were always meant to live, a life of obedience that brings glory to God. And so the gospel should result in transformation. It should result in obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. And I think, there's, I think there is a lot of that kind of uh, teaching going on in the church these days. You see it in, in liberal denominations in particular that call into question, you know, the gospel itself. Um, was there a historical Jesus at all? And, and when he died... 
uh, was he really dying on the cross for our sin, or was that about something else? And and uh, you know, was the resurrection an, an actual event, or or was it a myth made up by his disciples to encourage us to to follow Jesus? And so there's a diminishing of the person and work of Christ, and at the same time, there's a diminishing of the the moral standards uh, that the church has historically followed down through the centuries of saying that, you know, God made man and he made woman and he made marriage to be between a naturally born man and a naturally born woman for a lifetime. And 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 now, essentially, the message that's coming out of a lot of church bodies these days is, um, yeah, we're not so sure about Jesus anymore. And, and by the way, God loves everybody just as they are. So, uh, you, you know, if if you want to be in a same-sex relationship, that's fine. If if you want to, um, uh, you know, deny the gender you were born with and you want to be something else, that's fine. You want to be a, a drag queen uh, preacher, that's fine. Uh, so that what, what the church has known to be wrong for 2,000 years is now regarded as right. And if you oppose any any of that then then well you're you're a bigot so now everything's turned on its head um and wrong is normalized and righteousness looks strange and and i think that's a that's a prime example of of the kind of teaching i think that's a modern kind of version of of what i think jude was reacting to was a, a watering down of godly living and saying you know it's optional you know you you can live pretty much whoever you want so false teachers were we're construing the gospel in such a way as to justify living the way they wanted to live instead of conforming to the, the likeness of Christ and growing in holiness. Um, I, I think that can happen, too, not just in mainline denominational circles. And by the way, whole denominations are splitting over these kinds of issues right now. Right, the no longer United Methodist Church. Right, yeah. So certain Methodist congregations are leaving because this is the church, this is the teaching that's prevailing in the church, and they disagree with it. It's happened to the Presbyterians and the Lutherans and the Methodists uh, already. You have um, all these kinds of things happening in the liberal side, theologically. But I think, I think you find some of this kind of teaching in, in, you know, what looks like evangelical circles, too. Well, to name names, I, I'll just go out and say it. I think Joel Osteen is, is of this camp, you know, where the gospel he preaches doesn't talk about sin. Um, he says, we don't need to talk about sin. People already know they're sinners. Uh, I'm not so sure about that anymore. And, and you know, his, his message is about how you can have your best life now. And it's about building you up and your self-image instead of helping you appreciate the holiness of God and your need of being delivered from your sin through faith in Christ. And and so, but, but you know, people say, well, he's, he prays the sinner's prayer at the end of every every sermon and 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 that's kind of where I take issue is without really fully explaining the gospel and our need of forgiveness and and salvation he he just has everybody recite this little prayer of you know Jesus come into my life um and I I can't even I can't even remember the whole thing but it's it's a very watered down kind of version of the gospel and then people think they're saved uh I I I have some problems with that so um, and, and Joel Osteen's not alone in that. I mean, they, I think there are a lot of a lot of um, uh, ministries that you know kind of approach the gospel that way these days. 
so what's really happening there? Are people repenting of sin and being conformed to the likeness of Christ? Nah, not so much. Uh, they're basically be t being told, you know, God loves you. you. You can have your best life right now. Um, and we would say, yeah, well, you can have your best life right now, but it's only found through repentance and faith and by, by um, you know, surrendering uh, to Jesus and his lordship in your life and uh, letting the Spirit of God go to work to conform you to the likeness of Christ so that you can become uh, all that you were meant to be as a follower of Jesus. Uh, it's, a, it's a different kind of gospel. And, and um, so I, I think we all have to be just alert to uh, watering down the gospel, whether it's coming from a more liberal theological persuasion or from people that are supposed to be in our camp. So this term of, of cheap grace, Jude is specifically saying that this is alluding to permissiveness, but could that also apply to church leaders that want to enforce an overly restrictive living to also be considered as, as worldliness? Um, I, in the end, does it not become a form of idol worship, whether if it's worshiping our own idols or whatever uh, beliefs that we have, uh, things like purity culture comes to mind. Legalism falls under the umbrella of of this worldliness. Well, there is a there is a form of worldliness or fleshliness, if you will, that that is legalistic, uh, and and basically uh, that goes to the opposite side of saying not, um, you know, you can stay just as you are, but you need to achieve a certain level of holiness, and it's up to you to achieve it, uh, and and that's a that's a different problem altogether mm -hmm. uh, that's addressed in letters like uh, Colossians and Galatians uh, where where there were uh, legalistic teachers um, saying hey you know you need Jesus but then you need to keep all these rules and that's that's an error in the other direction I don't think Jude is addressing that particular one here he's he's pretty clearly um, uh, addressing those who would diminish the need for holy living and and basically tell you, you know, just just do this stuff and you'll be okay. Um, you don't you don't need to worry about, you know, uh, all these uh, uh, being obedient and and conforming to the likeness of Christ and and all those things. Um, so I think there are opposite errors, <laughs> both of which could be construed as worldly. Uh, Jude is do, dealing primarily with uh, licentiousness, not the not the uh, legalistic self-righteousness that, that Paul does in Colossians and Galatians. because right, that wasn't the intent of his letter. Right. So then, <clears throat> are there other specific worldly teachings or behaviors that you're seeing in the churches uh, and the cultures uh, that we should be aware of? Well, I think I've already mentioned a, a number of them, um, and, and it seems like the, the predominant uh, point of attack right now is uh, around sexual ethics, mm -hmm. right? So... Um, where where the scriptures are very clear that God says marriage is a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife and the two become one flesh. Uh, you know, now we've redefined marriage <clears throat> to make it, you know, just love whoever you're with. Um, and um, uh, God said, uh, you, you know, it's a scripture, it says that he made them male and female and it was good. And we're saying, well, maybe not so good. Maybe, maybe you know, I was made a male, but I want to be a female, or I was right. born a female, I want to be a male. And, and, and essentially, I think what you see happening in, in the church, and this is where the, the liberal church is, uh, liberal theologically, 
where where the mainline denominations have have really gone off the rails is um, you know buying into whatever the culture is currently saying and 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 baptizing that and making that righteous and celebrating it like it's something holy and good when God says no this is an abomination this is a violation of of my will um, so yeah I, I I think in our time uh, that's predominantly the point of attack um, and and of course it's a very popular message i mean it's it's going over like gangbusters on you know tiktok and and social media and whatnot uh, even even uh, you know most of our mainstream media is is basically you know i mean in a month from now we're going to be having gay pride month and yeah. we're supposed to all rejoice over over you know lgbtq and and everything else you know we're we're to be respectful of people who who make those choices? We're not to hate them or or you know go hunting them down, uh, which is the way we're often portrayed as if we're haters. No, we, we we care about we love people who are victims of the enemy, right? <laughs> uh, just as we're victims of the enemy. We've got our our sin issues, and and other people have their sin issues. Um, you know, so it's not like we want to hate on people who who make those choices, but at the same time. Um, you know, we're, we we can't approve right. uh, that that either because it's clearly not accordant in accordance with God's will. So, um, you know, one of the ways that here here's the interesting thing I, I I find is that what are the denominations that are failing? Yeah, it's the denominations that are going along with the currents of the culture and saying anything goes. Right. Um. Well, you know, if you're saying the same thing as culture is saying, who needs you? Right? Yeah. If I'm going to go to church to hear the same message as I could hear on social media or on, you know, the nightly news, then why do I need the church? Right. The yeah. interesting thing is the churches that are growing are churches that are willing to stand firm on the teaching of Scripture and say, thus saith the Lord. Uh, and, and uh, you know, that doesn't win us any popularity contests, but... I think a lot of people can can see there's there's nothing of worth in in that other message, um, and and so you know churches like Bayside where where we stand strong on the scriptures and teachings of the Word of God uh, are are the churches that are continuing to to grow and to thrive. There's there's three categories that I've heard expressed uh, when we're dealing with these things that we have. As individuals and collectively, we have the choice to reject, the choice to redeem, or the choice to receive those things. Mm -hmm. And and how we move forward with that as, as a church uh, is going to vary differently, you know, based on what the situation is. But all three of those, we have to, to be subject to the word. That's right. Um, so in context for the this next question, you gave three points in the sermon, to remember the apostles' warnings, that's to, to be wary, to remain committed to the Savior, that's to be faithful, and to reach out to those who are at risk of falling, to be ready. Uh, so to the question, when it comes to snatching those in danger out of the fire, should we still employ mercy, even though it's not explicitly stated as it was for those in, the, in doubt or those who were infectious? 
Yeah, I, I believe so. So where, where this idea of, of mercy comes in is, uh, I said, okay, so you got those who doubt, those who are in danger, and those who are um, deadly. Uh, they're toxic. And um, uh, verse 22 says, have mercy on those who doubt. And to those who, um, to others, show mercy mixed with fear. Mm -hmm. So with the first category and the third category, there's a, there's an exhortation to show mercy to this this individual, and then the middle category is uh, to others show uh, to uh, save others by snatching them out of the fire. That was the the category of those who are dangerous. The middle category, and it doesn't say mercy, but I think I think that in the context, uh, clearly the understanding is that you're dealing uh, with all of these uh, in mercy. Right. Um, so. Um, you know, those who doubt, well, that would be that would be those who are raising skeptical questions about the faith. Uh, the next category, snatch others uh, uh, from the fire, well, those are people who are already in danger. They've apparently gone down the road some ways with some of this false teaching, and, and uh, you know, they've already got a toe in the flames. Uh, they're, they're about to be burned. And then the, the last category of um, mercy mixed with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh, uh, that's that's apparently dealing with somebody so toxic that even getting close to them could make you sick. Um, and and the 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 category person I put there is this is somebody who's who's uh, so far down the road of buying into false teaching that they become toxic themselves. Right. But there's guilt by association. <clears throat> Not just guilt by association, but but even a sort of an infectiousness mm -hmm. uh, that if I hang out with this person, I'm likely going to be led astray too. Um, and so he says, with that one, show mercy mixed with fear. And the metaphor I used to kind of describe that was, okay, somebody with Ebola. How do you, how do you treat somebody with Ebola? If I'm a medical professional, you know, I'm sworn to do what I can to save that person. You talked about redeeming mm -hmm. as one of our options. Um, so I don't give up on somebody with Ebola. I, I need to do what I can to provide life-saving measures but I'm not stupid about that either. So mercy mixed with fear means I'm, I'm going to follow appropriate protocols to make sure I don't get sick myself. Um, uh, you know, hating even the garment stained by flesh, even casual contact with this person uh, could uh, rub off on me in a harmful way. And so um, got to suit up, you know, as Paul puts it in, in uh, Ephesians, you know, uh, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Um, yeah, so you got these three categories, um, and, and I gave an example of each. So with the doubter, I talked about one of my kids who um, would would come home from high school almost every mealtime with a, a skeptical question that she'd heard somebody raise some kind of objection to the Christian faith at school. And, um, and, and you know, in, in my more impatient days when I was tired, I, I might blow her off and saying, don't listen to such nonsense. That's the wrong response. Um, to show mercy to those who doubt is to say, all right, let's, let's, uh, let's talk about this. Uh, let's, let's show some patience with that doubter. Uh, let's unpack that question. Uh, let's um, point you in the right direction in terms of where do we find answers to that, that question? Where in the scripture does it speak to that? Uh, that's a much more uh, beneficial way to deal with the doubter instead of shaming them or blowing them off um, 
you know, show mercy to those who doubt. Then it's uh, snatch others from the fire. Um, so here's somebody who's a little farther down uh, uh, the road. And the example I used there was our own youth ministry, uh, where you've got kids who are listening to TikTok and they're getting all kinds of crazy messages about about gender identity and, and other things. Um, you know, they come to a youth group meeting and they're saying, hey, we're struggling with this. And here's a youth ministry that can can say, okay, here's what the Bible says about our sexuality. And and here's, here's the good news of the gospel. And, you know, on the very night that the kids are coming forward expressing all these things they're struggling with, like uh, depression and thoughts of suicide and self-harm and and gender confusion and and addiction to drugs, alcohol, and pornography, um, they're they're able to to talk about those things in a place that's safe. And six of those kids came to Christ that same night. So uh, that's that's a prime example of you know snatching uh, some from the fire. Um, and then, then the the very extreme example that I gave on Sunday was of of um, somebody uh, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the garment stained by by the flesh, uh, was the, the example of a TV a, a radio host rather, who after an interview where he bashed Jesus and the Christian faith. This Christian radio interviewer hugged a Satanist pastor in such a way that he was disarmed by the fact that this this here's a person who really seems to care about me, who loves me, who says she's glad to meet me. Later on, finds out that she's a Christian, and that sets him on a path of discovering, yeah, you know, uh, that that the love of Jesus is is really what he needs. And so, um, yeah, so. That last category of being ready to help those who are at risk is is one that I think is is really important for us to heed because we tend to look at at doubters and those who are already in danger and especially those who are deadly toxic with false teaching. We tend to look at them as the enemy when in fact they're victims of the enemy. Right. And and if we can show mercy, have some compassion, and remember that they're but for the grace of God go I. Um, and, and we can, we can, uh, deal with such people patiently and with the love of Christ, that's the best chance we have of helping them get turned around. All right. So as we get into our discussion questions for the week, we, we talked <clears throat> about, uh, what was happening the past couple of weeks versus five through 16. Uh, so in our discussion points, uh, We've already discussed question number one and did a quick review over everything. Let's get to the question two. Uh, in verses 17 through 23, you're giving us a practical instruction of how to carry out uh, the main exhortation of the letter, which is to contend for the faith. And, and may I say, I really love the, the, the word play of the war on terror as the war on error. Uh, that, that's the very insightful and helpful just as the war on terror has been urged to never forget, uh, Jude urges us to remember something vital in our war on error. And according to verse 17 through 19, uh, we are always to remember that there are people out there with the intent to destroy or to disrupt the church. Thankfully, this institution is of God and, and not even the gates of hell can stand against it, but they sure can try. Yeah, uh, and... Uh... 
if, if we're not vigilant, if we're not wary, uh, a lot of this can seep into a church and sound good. I mean, who doesn't want to talk about the love of God? Right. Um, God loves you. Well, yes, he does. Um, God accepts you just as you are. Well, he, he does, but he doesn't want you to stay as you are. You know, so so the, the gospel that gets preached oftentimes is only partial gospel. It's it's true as far as it goes, but it doesn't give you the whole truth. Right. And that's where we get into trouble. And and uh, so, yeah, in, in saying remember the apostles' predictions about these things, you know, Peter is very clear. Um, in the last days, scoffers are going to come. And, and they're going to uh, follow their own ungodly passions. That's one of the big tip-offs, is if you see religious leaders who are living immorally and somehow justifying that, um, run the other way. Yeah. Now, that's, that's kind of some of what we see in, in mainline denominations today. Denominational leaders blessing same-sex unions, even, you know... Um, what which denomination was it that um, ordained their first lesbian bishop? You know, and and so you've got all these kinds of things happening, um, and and it can go to the extreme of like a David Koresh or Jim Jones kind of situation, right? Where here you have a charismatic leader who talks about Jesus all the time, and somehow, in their twisted mind, uses that to justify you know, sleeping with multiple women and doing all kinds of uh, of crazy things, uh, you know, sexually explicit, out of control kinds of behavior. Um, you know, that's kind of, that kind of thing is on the other extreme. You'd think that'd be easier to spot. And yet there are people that get sucked into these kinds of cults all the time. Yeah. So be vigilant. You know, that's, that's the me message. Be wary. Uh, remember the apostles teaching. Uh, your third question, uh, just as after 9-11, we were urged, do not let the ter terrorists win. Jude urges us to not let false teachers distract us from living the life we were meant to live in Christ. And then according to verse 20 and 21, remain com committed to the Savior in the face of false teaching. So let's let's talk about what that looks like, some, some practical ways uh, of remaining committed. Uh, and, and living these things out. Well, you know, Paul, uh, Jude, rather, gives uh, four exhortations in that direction yourself, himself. You know, build yourselves upon your most holy faith. In other words, I, I think that basically means you keep coming back to the gospel. You keep coming back to the foundation, the faith once delivered to all the saints, he says earlier in, in the book. So that means um, that, you, you know, we, we don't take it for granted that we, we got the gospel down and now we're moving on to other things. We keep coming back to the basics of, of the gospel and build our, our lives upon that. Pray in the Holy Spirit. You know, prayer is, is, a, is a key part of, of our daily disciplines of, of uh, walking with the Lord and growing in Him. Um, keep yourselves in the love of God. Um, and I think basically what that's saying is, uh, you know, don't forget the love of God for you and make sure that, that you... <laughs> You continue to live your life in response to his great love for us. He demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And and if I'm truly loving God, 
then I'm going to move in the direction of obedience, not in the direction of fulfilling my own ungodly passions. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what I command. Um, so it's taking seriously the, the commands of Christ, uh, you know, studying, studying his word. What, is, what does God want from me? Um, uh, you, you know, doing, doing what God approves. Um, and not in my own strength, but by the power of his spirit who lives in me. Um, and then, you know, uh, he, he says, uh, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And I think that's, that's calling us back to, to always be living in anticipation of, of Christ's coming. Um, one of the, one of the ways to to stay on track, especially in the midst of difficult times, is is to live remembering that Jesus is coming soon, and and to live in that hope. So, um, yeah, Jude himself, uh, you know, kind of lays out the the basics of of uh, you know how how we need to keep living, uh, in spite of the fact that these false teachers are going to try to get us off track. The fourth question, just as after 9-11 we celebrated heroes who put themselves at risk to rescue others, in verses 22 and 23, Jude urges us to reach out to those who are at risk of falling. You identify three categories for such risk, those who doubt, those who are in danger, and those who are infectious, and we talked about those. Your question is, uh, what does Jude say should be done for each? And as we said before, mercy is the key. And asking the question, don't be contrite about it, but how would Jesus approach them? He had compassion on those that were lost, yet dealt justly with those who perverted the law. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's a good example. I mean, right there is, uh, look at how Jesus dealt with, with um, sinful people and even even doubters. Look at, look at how merciful he was toward Thomas, for mm -hmm. instance. Uh, he didn't. He didn't shame Thomas. He didn't ball him out. He just said, "Hey, Thomas, uh, look at my hands. Uh, go ahead, touch." Uh, he offered the proof that that Thomas needed to overcome his doubts. Um, you know, uh, those in danger. Um, I, I think of. I, I, let me give another example of reaching out to somebody at risk. In my last, in my previous church in Pennsylvania, we had an elder named Al who had been a high school civics teacher, and there had been a troubled kid who'd come through his class. I don't think Chris ever graduated. Uh, he was always always in trouble, and and his life as a young adult was equally troubled. He he was always getting. In trouble with drinking and drugs and and petty crime and he'd been thrown in jail a few times and he was just a rough looking character. He had this this shock of unruly long red hair and and he was built. He was a he was a bodybuilder, so he had he had guns and he wanted to show them off. So he always walked around in in uh, tank tops and he wore spandex shorts everywhere he went because his only transportation was a bike and he had Grim Reaper tattoos, and his face was all pockmarked, and and his nose was crooked from being in too many fights. I mean, he was a he was a rough looking dude. And Al saw him outside of a Seven Eleven in town, and you know, uh, Al could have said, "Oh man, there's there's that Chris guy. He's he's bad news." He goes up to him, and he, he engages him in conversation. Hey, Chris, do you remember me? Oh yeah, I'm, you know, Mister Speakman. 
um, but what's going on in your life? So Al, Al talks about and and Chris is very, you know, uh, open in, in sharing some of the stuff going on in his life and how things aren't aren't too cool. So what does Al do? He says, "Hey, Chris, you ought to come to church with me." Um, and Chris says, "Oh man, I, I don't, I don't want to do church." He, in fact, we only found out later that he'd come from a very strict legalistic church background, and his parents had kicked him out of the house because he'd, mm-hmm. he'd be, he made so much trouble for them that he, they wouldn't let him come back home. And um, and he said, oh, "Just a bunch of rich people in there. They'll just, they'll just look at me and and you know judge me." And he said, "No, no, it's not like that at all. You come and sit with me." Chris started going to church with with Al and got saved. Um, he, he, he became, I, I met with him frequently. Uh, he was a brother in Christ. Did all of his problems go away? No. Did he still make some mistakes? Yeah, he landed in jail again. And, and so some of his discipleship continued in jail. I'd go see him there. Uh, but was he, was he truly a believer in Christ? Yes. Did Jesus make a difference in his life? Yes. And then he was hit by a car on his bike and, and died. Hmm. Um, what if Al had not reached out to him? Yeah. I, I think there's a there's a beautiful example of a, a believer in mercy snatching somebody from the fire. Yeah. Uh, his his mom uh called me after the accident as we were getting ready to to do a service for Chris. And she was absolutely blown away to hear that her son had come to faith in Christ. And and she took huge comfort in that, uh, even though she, he hadn't been part of their lives in recent years. So I guess the message is don't, don't easily write anybody off, even if they're scary-looking dudes yeah, Chris would come to church dressed in his tank top and his spandex shorts with his guns showing and the Grim Reaper tattoos. And to be honest, mothers would pull their daughters a little closer, <laughs> you know, whenever he walked by. But he was accepted. He was loved. Yeah. And and um and he grew in Christ. And man, what if what if Al hadn't hadn't been ready? Yeah. Uh, you know, with that with that word of encouragement and the invitation to church. Amazing. Uh, the final question. Uh, after 9-11, some people took place on the front lines in the War of Terror, serving in Iraq or Af- Afghanistan. But all of us were urged to do our part. So in the war on error, only some will be called to debate atheistic professors on the stage. But Jude is urging all of us to do our part, to be wary, to be faithful, and to be ready. How does this study help you to be better prepared to contend for the faith, especially when false teachers worm their way into the church. Um, now, we, we can start by saying that no individual church is perfect because on earth it's filled with redeemed yet flawed individuals. Uh, and, and churches is more than where you go on a Sunday morning to hear a sermon, uh, that we should be here uh, you know, it, for the teaching of Scripture in a more personal setting. Uh, filling your 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 tank every week with with you know it's like trying to 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 drive across the country but only getting a quarter of a tank at a time you're you're not going to make it there uh only only filling up so much uh 
so it, it's hard to be wary or to to be faithful or to be ready if we aren't spending our time in community and in the word uh and so for example you know we can't uh if the sword that we carry is dull how can we be expected to use it effectively yeah i think there's there's um a great power in coming together once a week with other believers uh for one thing to to be reminded that oh i'm not crazy <laughs> right <laughs> Uh, there are other people who believe what I believe. The world is going nuts around me and making me think that I'm insane because of the things I believe and 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 you know the the way I live. Uh, and just to be with other believers is a tremendous encouragement. You know, and that's why in Hebrews it says, "Let us not forsake meeting together, as is the habit of some, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching." Um, so yeah, I mean, coming together in church, coming together in in Bible studies with other believers, serving together in ministries, um, there's there's a lot to be gained, uh, you know, in in the war on error from staying close to people who are trying to walk in the truth with you. Wonderful. All right. So next week we conclude the letter of Jude, two verses, <clears throat> twenty four and twenty five. Um, so what do we got for next week? Yeah, so Jude actually ends in a rather unexpected way. Uh, you know, in some ways, Jude is a very dark letter because he's talking about these false teachers and how they infiltrate in and, and how they can lead astray and how they're headed for judgment. And and, and there's all these dark themes. Uh, you know, last week was a little more hopeful because it gave us some tools for combating that false teaching, uh, engaging the war on error. But then uh, Jude ends with the probably one of the most exalted doxologies, uh, explosion of praise. And, um, and I think there's a, a very important reason why he does that. Um, you know, if you're, if you're getting spooked by all this talk of false teaching and wondering, oh my, am I going to succumb to false teaching? Is, is the Antichrist going to get hold of me and stamp 666 on my forehead when, you know, am I that vulnerable? Uh, stay tuned because this next week we, uh, we talk about the power of God to keep us and uh, to present us blameless before the throne. Amen. Alright, thank you very much for joining us this week, Pastor Dave. Thank you for listening and we hope you have a blessed week.